What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's episode is with the one and only Erica Cool. Eric and I have known each other for a very long time. She's one of the pioneers of the community industry. She led community from the ground up at Salesforce for close to two decades, starting off as an instructor at Salesforce, uh, teaching people how to use the platform, growing all the way to become the VP of community, scaling up the team to dozens of community professionals, bringing community to what's today you know, part of everything in Salesforce. It's part of their product and marketing and every product line they have and customer support and success. She's really one of the first legitimate VPs of community that existed in this industry. And we go through her story, how she got there, how she got buy-in, how she measured the value of community. And then we talk about what she's doing today. She left Salesforce about a year ago to start doing consulting, working with lots of different companies and sharing all of her methodologies and lessons with others in the industry. And so there's a ton of really practical stuff in here. And it's just great to hear her journey of growing to become a VP of community. You're going to love it. Let's dive in. All right, Erica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We, we've had many chats together over the years. Is this our first one publicly? No, we've done like interviews and events before, right? I think so. It's been a while though, but uh, we I feel like you and I go so far back that it's it can't possibly be our first one. It can't possibly be. Well, uh, it's the first one in a while, so mm-hmm. we'll have lots of really good stuff to catch up on. And I'd always like to kick off with just sharing your story. Uh, you're, you're pretty well known in the community industry. A lot of people have been following you and, and seeing the work that you've done. Uh, for those who don't know you, kick off with just who are you and, and how did you get to the point that you are today? I think I've spent the better part of the last two decades at Salesforce. And uh, I started my world there as an instructor, which uh, I don't know if everybody knows that, but I was hired at Salesforce to teach system administrators how to set up and configure Salesforce. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. And why I think that that's important to the story is that that's where the idea of community first budded in my brain is that I... I taught students, and at that time they came to San Francisco, and it was uh, about a five-day course, and I poured all my brain into them. They poured all their brains into each other, and they just worked so hard throughout that week because this was back in the day when there really wasn't a job. It was like you woke up one day, and they said, go to San Francisco. We bought this thing called Salesforce. Go learn it, and they would come to me. And after teaching literally hundreds of students, I just felt like what a miss that they just up and go back to their homes and their work and trying to transform something that's really new and and pretty solo. And finally, after about four years of being in training and then running training, um, I decided to pitch that idea to, at that time I was in the marketing organization, pitched it to our CMO and he laughed at me. (laughs) And, but I knew it was going to work. And luckily he let me give it a give it a go and not to make this the entire <laughs> hour that we chat, it worked finally. And I was able to, with a lot of perseverance and blood, sweat and tears and saying the same thing over and over, it, it worked and uh, brought it to where it is today. 
a huge thriving community. And even better is that it's it's really the differentiator now that you you buy Salesforce and then you you buy the ecosystem with it and that big warm blanket of of support around you. Anyway, um, I stepped out of that role about a year ago because I wanted to level up this industry. I was still felt like we were pretty far behind and we had a lot. Uh, a lot to go. And I wanted more people to have that experience at their company. And I felt like I could do more by helping many different companies with my playbooks and strategies and frameworks because it's hard to do. And uh, so that's what I've been doing the last year is doing that for a lot of different amazing companies. And it uh, turns out it really is a thing, David, <laughs> because it has been busy, busy, busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really proud of that now to be able to help more and use the, the experience that I've had to, to level up a bunch more amazing organizations. Yeah, and and you certainly have, and everything that you've always been very open at sharing what you've learned yeah. and, and your frameworks, and yeah, I, I think a lot of people that are doing this work today are building upon the the kind of foundation that you started. So thanks, props, and and thank you. First of all, <laughs> I would love to dig a little bit more into this story because I think it's always been one of the most ins- inspiring stories to me, as far as kind of showing both how hard it was mm-hmm. to buy-in in those days, you know, people think it's hard today and just kind of being able to reflect back to how hard it was for you, but also showing, you know, kind of, you know, the ceiling of growth opportunity for, for doing this kind of work. And so, so you joined as an instructor. What year was that? 2002. Okay. When was Salesforce founded? 1999. Okay. So we're talking like three years into Salesforce. To give you an understanding, I was employee 176. And when I left, not even two decades later, I was basically like over 49,000. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a small city now. Yeah. Some serious growth. And I remember reading Behind the Cloud Mark Benioff's book. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he talked a lot about like in the very early days, Salesforce was a company that that kind of led with with a mission and a purpose. And it was kind of this whole, you know, no software message and and really believed in cloud software and that that was the future, which was interesting because it didn't necessarily have to do with the product itself, more of, you know, how it's hosted and distributed but it really became a differentiating factor. And and it seemed from reading that, that to some extent there was a community that kind of formed around that and and Salesforce did have some philosophies that you can call community in those early days. Would, would, Would you say that that was true? Yeah, I, I I never really thought about it that way. I mean, he thinks he thinks in in a very unique way always. But I think what I feel really fortunate about from the very beginning is that what I think you're saying is that it's it was customer first all the time. It was about a movement and about listening and about transforming the business based on what they think. And that was not lip service. And a lot of people talk about customer centricity now. And uh, this was so long ago. And he cared so deeply about listening that it was, um, you know, not easy. Nothing about my journey there was easy, but it was easy to plow through some of the fundamentals of listening. And there was never any risk in that because um, we always, from the very beginning, wanted to include our customers along the journey with us in in all sorts of different ways. So that that is true. And I feel like there was that foundation and that along with the the philanthropic nature from the very beginning just created such a sense of goodness that people wanted to be along with the journey. 
Mm. Where do you think that line is? Because for a company that's so people-driven, mm-hmm. very customer-focused, very, very philanthropic in the work that Salesforce has always done, mm-hmm. what is that leap into community? like, And how is community distinct from those things? Well, I didn't want them to be distinct. I wanted the culture of the company to seep through into the community. And I wanted the community's culture to seep into the company. And I don't know if I made it. I don't think I knew that that was going to be a strategy, but then it ended up becoming a very important strategy. And so I didn't I didn't see them as separate things. And neither did our CEO at the time. He considered customers at the same level as partners, as the same level as developers, as same level as employees. He considered them all the same. And so there wasn't a lot of borders. And um, it was really important to make certain that everybody, everything I built had the same kind of feel and the same culture richness as the company. And it it stayed that way the entire way. And um, so I, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of boundaries because he really wanted that kind of, he was so, so focused on culture all the way through. And I, I just couldn't think about running a community any different. So what was unique about what you were proposing that, you know, was, was difficult to get buy-in for? Yeah. I mean, yeah, making it sound like it was all queued up and ready to go. But (laughs) I mean, you'd think that, but you have to remember I was, this is the land before Twitter, the land before Facebook, if you can believe it. So these concepts that seem so obvious now, in fact, you know, when you're trying to describe community to your mom, you say probably, you know, it's it's like, you know, Facebook when you connect with people and share content and it's like that before a particular company or a brand, but you couldn't say that. So you had to, you it was dip, more difficult to understand what was going to be the ROI and the benefit for doing it. You know, I did it very particularly because I wanted to create a place for our customers to continue sharing information with each other and sharing ideas when they weren't in a classroom. So that was, I stuck very true to that. And, but you know, I was in marketing at the time and that's not that sexy to marketing, you know, being able to think that it's about customer success, not that not that marketing is not about customer success, but, you know, marketing at the time was very focused on demand generation as they should have been. And so they didn't understand me. They didn't understand like, what are you, what are you doing here in this? Mm. What, what, what job, what was the title? There was no title. There was no community manager. My, the C, you know, the CMO was like, oh, well, what are you going to be? What's your title going to be? And and where should I put you? Mm-hmm. And he's like, is it a web page? And I was like, no, 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 it's not a web page. It's <laughs> like, I'm going to, cr- I'm going to like connect people together and they're going to like answer each other's questions. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm going to make you a web developer because I'm going to give you a <laughs> website. So, he, cause he, it's like, nobody could, nobody could understand. There was no path, mm-hmm. clear path. There was no job title. So he literally made me a web developer and he gave me a website that was called success.salesforce.com. And that's what he knew. He's like, if I'm giving you a URL, you must be a web designer. You must be a web developer. Of course. So it was so crazy. Because who else would use a website? Yes, exactly. I know it's just so hard to flash back. And it, and it's really not that long ago It and to think of how much has changed, but we really are like trying to dissect why it was difficult. This is why, because it's just, this was super entrepreneurial and it stayed that way for a very long time because it Mm -hmm. just was, it didn't have 
a path. It didn't have a leveling document. It didn't have clear ROI attached. Like you always like salespeople, you know, you know, marketing, you know, it's just, this was so unknown, even though you, I had the, I knew it was going to do, I had already seen the successes in the classroom and I knew it was going to be successful, but it's, it was just out of bounds. Right. So you started getting by and you built that site. I know from your story that that we've shared in the past, you know, it's you kind of got buy-in for, from the marketing side mm-hmm. of things. And then you were able to slowly expand community into mm-hmm. other parts of the business, whether it was like getting better product feedback mm-hmm. and, and actually driving customer success. And, you know, it's grown and grown and grown. Were there any specific points that you felt were really kind of like pivotal for the community program at Salesforce and your work there that kind of just like turning points where it really started to to scale and grow? Yeah, definitely. I remember them specifically. One of them, and you know, some of these are not like, I always want this to be tangible. You could take it away and you can adapt it to your business. But some of these that I'm going to share are not exactly ones that you can take away because they're situational. But one that could be taken away is that I was having difficulty with buy-in. Even in marketing, I did gain some momentum and I I did understand I needed to serve the business and I was doing that, but you know, I just wasn't gaining the momentum. And I did have like those moments, just like anyone can imagine, where you just want to stamp your feet and you know, throw a tantrum and be like, what is your problem? But I realized really quickly that it was my problem. It was my responsibility. And what I knew is that what the community had in common was the product. They wanted it to work better, more efficiently. They wanted to sell it. They wanted to build on top of it. And that fit better with another organization. And so I pitched it and I moved myself and my programs to the product organization. And I served up a silver platter of product innovation, co-innovation, insights, uh, you know, advocacy, product beta testers, like all of a sudden, when I finally got the buy on to go into the product organization, it was like hockey stick growth. And it really set this really incredible message to our community that I was sitting among their heroes in a lot of senses, the product managers that were impacting the product and building the product. And I was sitting right there with them. So I'd say that's one of them. The other one that I can remember that took me on the next big trajectory was um, we happened to be building a product. So Salesforce ended up going into the world of community, which is like so crazy. And so I paused on doing any sort of infrastructure changes because I knew they were building this product. And I built a couple of really cool programs focused on engagement. And then when it became time to launch this product, I was like, I'm raising my hand as fast as I can because I knew a lot of the difficulty was about understanding and touching it and feeling it and the awareness. And so I raised my hand to be first in line to put this huge community on this brand new V1 product because I knew that that was going to gain me traction. And it exactly did that. All of a sudden, out of the gate, our brand new product had one of the most vibrant communities around in the B2B space. And our company, when they were looking to sell it or talk about it, they could be like, that's our community on our product. Like it sent this really incredible message. And so those are two that I can remember fully changing the trajectory of my career. And then the third one, and then I'll stop talking, is data. (laughs) 
it was when things were really moving fast now and um but still not gaining the traction still not getting the headcount still not getting the budget i wanted these are very common things and um i remember my boss at the time was like do you want to grow your team do you want this to become like an institutional thing that you leave behind someday and of course i wanted that to happen and so she's like will you take a step back and you need to do some real data real proof points connecting it who, who was this boss at the time oh, her name is Kristen. yeah she's awesome and and she's not she didn't have a ton of experience in community but what she knew is about how to gain traction within within an organization mm. you know that's right that's all she needed and and so she was great what was her role uh so she gosh what was her role at the time it, it was it, it evolved but she eventually ran the voice of the customer programs which i was one of those programs got it um, okay yeah so she was like your community be fine take a step back you know you have enough momentum you could take your hands off the wheel for a little while and go prove go prove that it aligns with mm. the key roi of this organization and so i did that um i didn't know how to do that um, it was hard and it's not in my wheelhouse. Now it is. And uh, that was my third really big transition point. And I would say between those three, I would say really the data <laughs> was what grew my team, was what got me, what catapulted me into the eyes mm -hmm. of um, of executives because they were like, whoa, okay, this is not just for fun and games. This isn't just like mm -hmm. chit chat and, you know, share some fun thoughts. This is like real deal impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that data? So the the three that I started out with was revenue imp impact. So both what we called ACV, which was the size of the deals, that was ACV, annual contract value, and then pipeline. So the deals coming in, those are the first, you know, I call that in revenue impact. That's all one, but those are two. Um, the other one was about the product adoption, I guess you could just call it product adoption. So how they were adopting the product. And then the last one was about attrition. So the impact that it was having on them staying longer with us um, as, a, as a customer. And those were massively important to the business, obviously. Right. Yeah. And these are things that I think most companies that are investing in community are still trying to measure and figure out today. Yeah. Some companies are starting to figure out and we're seeing more companies be able to say like community is driving this specific amount of pipeline. Right. So it's getting better. Yeah. But so just to clarify, so the idea is, you know, someone participates in the Salesforce community. Is that was that the forums? Was that events? Was it kind of any touch point with that that you consider community? No, I kept it pretty specific just because I I needed it's very like right. you said, it's very hard to do. And I wanted right. it to be as as defensible as possible. I didn't want people to poke holes at my data. Mm -hmm. And so I kept it very specific. So it was people that were engaging in the community and what that definition specifically was, was people that were posting, voting, commenting, asking a question or answering a question. And that way we measured it in a year. So it wasn't like all time. Because by the time I had gone to this point to generate this data, I'd been in business in, in the community business for like five or six years. So mm -hmm. I waited too long, everybody do this earlier, but I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to do the all time data because I wanted it to be very tightly correlated. And that's a, crit a critical word is it was, it was a correlation, but it was very tight because what we looked at was people that were in that engaged bucket that I just said versus 
customers that were not engaged. They may have even logged in the community, but they didn't do those things. And then we just looked at those two populations and then tracked their deal sizes. We tracked their amount of deals. We tracked the way that they were adopting our products, which we had very specific ways to do that. And we tracked their longevity as a customer. And that's that's how we came up with it. Make it sound really easy. This is actually very hard. Yeah, super easy. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) But it was very hard, but very impactful because of how tightly correlated it was. I'm curious if you know the the common next question that everyone has is is the correlation versus causation thing of of like, well, were they just active in the community because they're better customers, or did (laughs) it actually impact? I know my thoughts on that have evolved a lot, but I'm curious if your kind of take on that has evolved since since those days and, and how you think about that challenge. Yeah, I definitely got that all the time. They're like, well, you could look at it anyway. I'm like, yeah, you can. But it it hasn't really, my thoughts haven't really changed because it, it seems like if you have a community that you're creating that's pumped full of incredible content, that has product managers engaging in it, that has a peer engagement, connected networks, like you this is what you would expect and this is how you prove it. And the way I always argued it was like, this is our data scientists. This was their their findings with me. I didn't make this up. Mm-hmm. So you can go take it up with them, <laughs> but this, this is their data. This is their their story. So I just kind of stuck true to that and, and I'm like, go for it and figure out another way. I'm not saying it caused it, but I'm saying that it's pretty strongly correlated when you look at people that either didn't do it at all or uh, logged in and didn't engage. So I mean, I, right. I'm still pretty passionate about it the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of how I've evolved my thinking on it and, and what I've learned from working much more closely with my sales team and my marketing team now at Bevy and understanding kind of how we how we think about leads and how we think about growth and retention, mm-hmm. realizing that everything is simply like a touch point in a journey. Yeah. Whether it's they read a piece of content from marketing or they had a sales call with a salesperson, like there's ways of, you know, qualifying leads, obviously. So you have lead qualification and uh, I had a conversation with Mary Thangval mm. uh, a while back on this on this podcast about community qualified leads. So using <laughs> community as a way of better qualifying, you know, is someone a good fit for your product? And of course, like at different stages in their journey, it can have different levels of impact. But community is no different from any other touch point that you would call marketing or sales or anything else. Mm. And so, you know, you can make the same, you can say the same challenge of causation versus correlation for for anything in business. And and so it's actually not that useful of a framing of, of trying to solve this problem. What is useful is understanding as much as you can, what are all the touch points that you're having with prospects, with customers, with right. leads, with the entire industry, and understanding how the experiences and the spaces that you're organizing as a community team uh, is playing a role in that journey. Yeah, really good point. And then there's, you think about there's some that are pretty direct. If you wanted to get to that too, like you, eventually we started, which is weird that we didn't just right out the gate, but just the way that I was in the organization, but, uh, you know, this case deflection. You didn't have all the answers as soon as you Amazing. started. That's ridiculous. I know. <laughs> but what I think is, is like the case deflection number. I even hate that word case deflection, but mm-hmm. you know, that one is also that, that's pretty lock solid if you if you do it the right way. So some of these are 
right. very, and I'm very, very solid. I remember at one point I was getting a lot of pushback from, I don't know, it might've even been the support organization. This is another early day thing that was difficult is that they didn't understand community and they didn't understand why somebody would want to get an answer from anyone other than Salesforce. It was like a, it's a pretty foreign yeah. concept, you know, to, yeah. to a more traditional support organization. And, and they were, oh, they're challenging me on something. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to turn it off then. I'm just going to, like, I can do that. I'm just going to pull mm-hmm. the whole thing offline and let's see, let's see what <laughs> happens. I don't like that I got to that point, but it's, you know, <laughs> I wish that I had. I'm just like picturing you next to like an outlet and they're like, that's just a lamp. And you're like, well, <laughs> you don't you know, know. For, you don't it's know. for the image. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it was kind of this condo. I'm like, I, I could pull this offline in a second. Like they weren't understanding mm-hmm. that I was trying, what I was trying to prove is that I really wanted a little bit of their support to triage questions on the community. What was like, of it was taken care of by the community themselves, which is outrageous. And I was like, can you please give me like a half a head so that you can clean up the rest of Lee? Like, how hard is this? And I just couldn't, I couldn't get them. I'm like, do you even understand how much money I'm saving you? And these are the, this is the way I spoke back in the day because I didn't know what, I didn't have the data. And that's when they're like, well, I'm like, okay, let's, let's track your, let's benchmark you today. Mm -hmm. And then they'll turn, we'll literally go offline. And we will see if you have enough staff to feel the 5,000 questions that we are getting asked on a monthly basis. Let's just like, let's check it out. And they're like, oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll actually put half a head on your community. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you good. kick in the door and lay down a pile of data <laughs> on sheets of paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Those good old mm-hmm. days. Whew. Yeah. I, I think also from the, from the lead tracking as well, another mm-hmm. concept is just like first touch. So right. if, if right. that's another way of saying like, if, if the community was the first time that someone interacted uh, with your brand, then that's, that's even a stronger correlation yeah. of, of having impact. Right. Gosh, um, yeah. So there's, there's all these things that you can do to just better understand, you know, how, how impactful these community touch points are, but right. I, I, I've kind of, anyone who says, it, well, it's correlation versus causation, I kind of don't think that's a very useful line of thinking at this point. Yeah, I agree. I like the way you say that because I, I really know what you want to say. Uh, like the word, <laughs> <laughs> words you really want to use, I can I can feel it behind your words. <laughs> yes. Hey, the, the podcast has some profanity in it here and there. Okay, so you could bleep it don't out. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So you, uh, were able to gather data. You started getting a lot more buy-in yeah. and just to kind of give people a scope. And I, I get this question a lot where it's like, you know, who's a company that's doing great work or really kind of set the bar for community and, and Salesforce is always one of the first that comes to mind. Yeah. And I don't think I do a great job of really explaining just like the scope and scale of the community operation at Salesforce and how integrated it is. Uh, to the company today, yeah. how many like teams it exists across. So would you leave a year ago? Yeah, year. About? Mm-hmm. So at the point that you left or to the extent that you know, you know what, what does the program look like today so someone can understand that scope? So it was, it was definitely a hub and spoke model. Um, basically have the center of excellence team, which was 
I don't know, you know, it, it had members directly on my team. And then we had some members on uh, that rolled up to different teams because they needed to like marketing and product, but it was upwards of 20. And then with product teams, it was probably closer to more like 30. But then there were teams of people throughout the organization that sat in various organizations like customer success and product marketing that even had community in their titles because they were in essence running their businesses on the the community platform. Mm -hmm. But as far as the programs go, the core pillars were really the online community, which is called the Trailblazer community, uh, where there is a very robust answers forum was and still is the main draw to the community. So um, that number was true. It's about 5,000 questions. 100% of them are getting responded to month over month. And 86% is by the community members, not by Salesforce employees. That's massive peer. Um, There's, you know, a massive component of it that's, that is spaces where they collaborate. So in groups on topics, on roles, on betas, I mean, you name it, getting started, release readiness across the board, some officially run by Salesforce, some unofficially run by the community members themselves, Um, mentorship programs, I mean, you just name it. And then there's more formal programs like the Salesforce MVP program, about 260 members strong that they're rewarded and recognized for their ongoing contributions to the community in a variety of different channels. And they're made up of partners and developers and customers. And they are like the truest of the true experts. And just to attach it to a size and a number out of that 86%, that are answered by peer-to-peer, 40% roughly are answered by that group alone and even a subset of that group, it's massive. So it's truly that like huge amount of content. Uh, We have a huge user group program that spans 93 countries. There's over 1,700 groups run by customers, volunteer. Um, There's probably close to 1,900, if not more like even more than that now. And they are, Salesforce supports them in with event tools like Bevy and money and content and resources if needed, but primarily volunteer run across the globe. And then there's a series of other programs that are run out of that, like content programs that are spawned out of that. What else? We have the Idea Exchange, huge ideation program that's on the community, which is the way that we roadmap plan and prioritize with the community input and crowdsourced. Geez, what more? Can I I should keep on going? That's that's probably those are like the big huge yeah. pillars. Now the one last thing that was the newest part was about students and about placement. So we started seeing that all of this craziness that I'm mentioning created and just Salesforce in general with its growth created an economy. And it created jobs, so many jobs. And so Trailhead came along which is a democratized learning platform, came together with the community and it skilled people up. But what we found is, which is incredible, changing lives, changing careers, but getting them actually into jobs turns out to be pretty hard. So that was the latest thing that the community was trying to tackle was uh, really tapping into the network of the community and giving them a formal mentorship program to not only skill them up using Trailhead, but connect them with jobs, actual jobs. So then then tracking placement. So that was the latest endeavor. Mm. It's an elaborate amount of programs and different teams. How how many people would you say are working on community at Salesforce? I know it's kind of a rough number because there's people working in different capacities and different teams, but... So much smaller than you'd think. 
<laughs> um, it's hard to know because of that distributed model, but I would say, you know, all in all is less than 50. Wow. I know. It's crazy. Do you think that's too small? Too small. Definitely too small. We were So you know, even with the amount of impact that communities had at Salesforce, it's still yeah, under I mean that's the thing. Underfunded, got, understaffed. Well, that's just the way it goes sometimes. You know, you just <laughs> that's uh that's the truth. You know, I don't want to paint a too rosy of a picture because we all still struggle. And I you know, I've always said in in every when I was at Salesforce, even a role I played that was unique, which is why I knew this business would do well when I went out on my own, is that I would end up talking to customers about running community uh, because we had a product, you know, and so they would come to me as like an internal reference and I would explain to them how we ran community, like Salesforce on Salesforce. And it was really a great story until the end where they're like, wow, what does your team look like? And I'm like, okay, listen to everything I said, but don't listen to this part, you know, or listen to this part and don't, don't exactly mirror it. But, you know, headcount is gold and Proving headcount, it's just, it's always a struggle. And um, I feel, I'm so lucky, but I'm, I treated every headcount like gold. Everybody always needs more. Mm. Uh, I get that. But we started doing some really interesting things so that we could stay nimble and stay focused. Like we started to transition uh, some of the support that went into managing a community. We started transitioning that to an operations team that did support overall for our group. Like, um, on helping onboard user group leaders and some of the, the more tactical stuff so that the community managers could be more focused on programmatic and engagement and, and mm -hmm. richer things that they needed to be doing because we started turning into a support organization because of just all of the mm -hmm. things that go into managing a massive multi-country, you know, global and just huge numbers, huge scales. So uh, we started getting really, we were always, we've always been scrappy. That's kind of like my middle name because of the way I built this, but we just knew that we even had to get, get creative with the way we distribute work. What was it like to be named the VP of community? <laughs> it was really exciting. And I, what I talk about why it was so exciting is, is not that it was, the title VP in particular, but it was the impact that it had. And I feel like we've talked about this at some point, but what I saw happen was so magical. I get Goosey's even talking about it still to this day <laughs> is that, so yeah, I was proud of myself. The, the call came in. I was like, oh my gosh, I did it. You know, how great. That was one thing. But when I saw what happened to the community members at the, the trailblazers and how they reacted, it was like amazing. I never could have envisioned that me getting a promotion would have this massive impact on them because what, what it said to them was that it really, really matters now. You know, now community is like at the big table because titles matter whether you like it or not. And whether, you know, you, you hear from a company like, Oh, titles don't matter to us. It's, it's a lie. In reality, they do. They matter. They open doors. They, people listen when you have a big title like that. And so that sent this really strong message to the community members themselves. So they celebrated because they were along this journey with me from the very beginning. So that was really cool. And then the, the, the third thing that happened besides me getting excited and them getting excited is that the industry celebrated and that this, the community industry went bonkers, which is amazing because it was like, yes, mm -hmm. somebody did it. You know, there were a couple, I wasn't the only one, but like somebody at a big brand that's not mm -hmm. a community 
product, because I mean, really, Salesforce is not a community product, you know, they CRM, but right. they, you know, they're like, they did it. They, you know, we did, we did it. So now we have this mm-hmm. beacon, you know, and, and that was really fun. So it just felt like this triple celebration. And so that's why I thought it was great. And that's what it meant to me. Cause it was just like a party in three different amazing ways. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was definitely celebrating and, you know, I, I've been working toward advancing the community industry for a long time. Yes. And, and so seeing someone like you reach that level and and agreed 100%. Like titles matter yeah. when they're legit, right? There's right. like startups who throw around oh, right. like chief community officer and you're like, all right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when it's a legit role at a legit company with yeah. legit budget and headcount, yeah. it's just like, all right. Whoa. Like this is real. Yeah. Like I'm, I haven't been full of shit this whole time. Yes, I know. <laughs> I really, well, I think I still kind of am, but you know, but I, yeah, I was. It, I mean, everyone's full of shit yeah. until, until we're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but yeah, it was validation that yeah. like, you know, I, I think a lot of us have been doing this work for a long time because we care about community yeah. and we care about people and connecting people. And yeah. that's what brings us joy. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was a part of me for the last 10 years, I was like, I hope this is a real thing for business. I'm going to keep saying it until hopefully it becomes true. But like, you know, we didn't know. I know. We didn't know if I like doubted. this would really drive measurable value for business. We were just like, this seems like a good thing yeah. to do. And I enjoy working on it. So I know to see that come around to like, this is a good thing. And it's actually a real career path and profession and, and something that businesses are starting to take more seriously was huge. Yeah. Thank you. It's, I felt that way. And that's, that's why I feel a lot of pressure in a good way to keep going. And, you know, when I, when that happened and the team started to grow, I start writing leveling documents and start writing job descriptions and, you know, cause it just, none of that existed. So now it's, it's just something that I feel so excited to share every time I work with a client, I'm like, okay, here you go. Here's the person, here's the next person. And I'm building them this plan and I want them to execute on it faster than I did. It does not need to take as long as it took me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just, I'm pushing really hard on people to build the right teams and to not fall victim. You know, you, it, I think at Salesforce, they had it for so long. It was, that's why I think my team wasn't big enough is they just, they saw me do too much and they got used to that. You know, that's the problem is that you do too much and then they're just like, oh, you can do it. So. Right. It's also kind of the the blessing and curse of community, which is like it scales, 100%. right? Like one person yes. can grow and manage a community mm-hmm. of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they should. And doesn't mean like, it just makes that line where it's like, uh, that, that person needs more support. Yeah. It makes that line blurrier because it does, it scales so well. Yeah. Good point. Yep. And so now you're working with a lot of companies, helping them kind of, you know, helping them launch programs like this and build their team. So yeah. what work are you doing with companies now? Like uh, wh- why does a company come to you today and how are you helping them? It can come in the form of a couple different things. And keep in mind, it's been one year. It feels like 10 years, but it, it because of how much is... 2020 has actually been 10 it's, years. It's It's been proven. It's so true. By scientists. <laughs> scientists. It's so true. It's like dog years all of a sudden. Yeah. But um, they come to me in some cases to build the Trailblazer playbook. You know, like... Give me the Trailblazer playbook. And we we want a community. We're ready for it. And we're ready to make the investment. And and so I dig in and we go through the the whole soup to nuts process from building a vision, getting alignment on the vision, uh, really understanding the alignment of the goals, 
all the way to budgeting, resourcing, staffing, to program frameworks, to membership, you know, you name it, all the way through. I'm not doing the legitimate in the weeds work with them, but I'm helping them staff up a team where I'm working directly with someone all the way along the way till launch. That's one thing. And more what I'm doing than that, even though I am doing a few of those, is I get parachuted into the middle of a shitstorm, and they say, please help us. Like we have all of these things. They are all disconnected. We don't know if they're the right things that we're doing. We're not doing them efficiently or effectively. Can you please come in and like learn and pull them all together or deprecate them or give us recommendations as to where we should move forward for the next evolution. That's a lot of them. Is is that like a company that has like all these different spaces running and events and all these kind of disparate? Yep. They just kind of started with community engagement without really understanding how it all kind of fits together. Yeah, exactly. Mm, That sounds like a fun shitstorm to clean up. Not a lot of them, but they are, it is kind of fun. I didn't realize that was a thing for me. You know, you just don't really know, Um, but it's, it's still staying at the, still staying at the level, the high level of like throwing my weight around from an alignment perspective. And then the third one is more just uh, like advisory work where I learn and give my thoughts align, same kind of alignment, but where I'm making proposed ideas and thoughts, or then I just sit on their shoulder and help them not go down some terrible rat holes. So it's just like, we got it, but we just want to make sure you tell us, you know, wait, don't forget about that or go this direction instead. So that can take form in a couple of different ways. So that's kind of the bulk of everything. My gosh, there's a lot out there and I'm really, I'm really lucky. And I feel pretty excited because I'm the Salesforce girl. I get that. I'm I'm platform agnostic because it was never about the platform to me. Uh, It's it's about building the hard parts, building the strategy. Um, But what I like that I get to do is go in and throw that kind of experience around to get alignment, which is what everybody suffers from. So they get to say, well, Salesforce, we have Erica, this is what Salesforce did. (laughs) That's what, and then I get to throw a couple of other things and these great clients that I'm doing too and say, well, that's also what this person, you know, that's what they did and they did. And it just, and then it draws them together quicker um, instead of it being a struggle. It's still a struggle, but... Where do you usually find that there's misalignment? There's still business goal alignment figuring out, this is really hard for people to figure out what are you doing? You know, I think a lot of people are like, we want a community, but, and which is great. That's great that they, I don't, I'm not in the business of convincing anyone anymore that they need it, but now they're just not entirely sure what they need it for. Right. You know, what are you literally doing it for? And getting people to get that specific is sometimes very hard to do. And it takes a long time to get that done. Sometimes there's ownership problems, understanding where it should live and who should own it and what parts and pieces people should own. That's a struggle still. And, you know, budgeting is still a struggle too. So getting people to understand that this is an investment. You have to make an investment in a tool, in a platform, and you have to make an investment in a person and not a junior person like a like a legit person. <laughs> and uh, so these are some of the difficult things that I help navigate. What does your methodology look like? So someone says like, hey, we're doing all these things or we want to be doing all these community things, which I presume means like we want to launch a forum or a group or some sort of online space. We want to do events. We want to have ambassadors. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, you know, maybe starting with tactics more than 
you know, strategy. So what, what is kind of like the process that you take a business through to, to get that alignment? Why? Well, and this is going to be no surprise. I've picked up my, my past from Salesforce. One of the things that I love so much. And when I get into some of these companies, I'm like, oh, you could use this too, is the V2 mom process. And I talk about this a lot, but it's just a very important and impactful thing. And so I've adapted this for every single client. I go through this process and the V2 mom stands for vision, values, methods, obstacles, and metrics. And I don't go anywhere until I have the first two done. And that takes some time. And people like to skip over that. And they like to, quote unquote, spin up a forum. And I'm like, nope, we are not going to tools. And the unfortunate part is sometimes they've already got the tool by by the time I get there. So I have to back up, backtrack a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I make them get very specific about what it is they're doing and what it is they are not doing. And I try not to move forward until everyone feel, for the most part, everyone feels like they have a clear understanding of that vision. And it's not a vision for vision's sake. It's not just like, oh, we're never going to look at it again. It's generally the vision for that year or two. And then it it may adapt and change, but everything ladders up to that. So the values are what's going to drive it. So everything that they put down as far as a value goes, is going to thread into the programs. And then whatever the programs then we decide to create, they ladder up to that vision. So it's it's vision that's tied to methods and tied to then metrics to achieve it. So that's the, I mean, in a nutshell, that's the process that we go through. What does a good vision look like? Like specifically, if, if I'm a company listening to this right now and I'm like, shit, I don't have a clear vision for this. Yeah. What would that look like for them to get to a point? Is it is it clear business value? Is it vision for member value? What are you looking for? Well, I mean, I suppose you, you have to know what you're doing first, but yeah, it's the what, the why, and then how you're going to do it together, you know, so high level. But the way I say it is after you've written it out and after you've gotten it to a place, the things you're going to focus on should jump out at you. So you shouldn't read it and it shouldn't be generic too generic. It should feel like yours. So you shouldn't be able to just like lift it up and put it onto someone else's community. It should feel like yours. And the words specifically and the position of the words and the sentences should be prioritized. So the most important thing, I mean, it sounds so obvious, I suppose, but it's like ruthlessly prioritizing the wording and then the words that you are doing. So I use the example of like the, the trailblazer community when I left, it was so much about careers and mentorship and growth and placement. So those words were in my mission statement that year. And then there was like kind of a standard sentence at the top that didn't really change as much about like overarching. It was about learning and connecting and having fun and giving back, like some standard things. But then the words that you're going to ladder up your programs to that year or that next year should pop out. You should almost like bold that. And so it was about career growth. And and then you revisit it the next year. And that second sentence does a lot of changing. So maybe that first year, it's about membership growth. And the next year, it's about engagement, deeper engagement, or whatever the case may be, building ambassadors or brand affinity or awareness. So that's how I think about it. People have different strategies, but I'm very, like I can go up and build the strategy, but I also like to make it very tangible and achievable. And I believe that there's aspirational natures. I've now kind of adopted this new step that is an opportunity statement. That's the really big, almost unachievable thing, but that's the real true why. 
And then that never changes. And then there's this vision that feels like you can actually achieve that. And then that's the one you stay anchored and focused on as you're building the entire strategy. Does that make sense? Mm, so opportunity statements kind of like forever, yes, long-term big uh, vision statements, like the kind of change yep. or the initiative that we want to take in the next yes. year or yeah. so. I find that, that feels a little more achievable and understandable for people to get rallied behind, but you still have the like, what? because a lot of people will just be like, why are we doing this again? And I never want that to happen. I never want that to happen. Right. So um, I try to say like, okay, imagine, imagine you're me and I'm the keeper of the money. And I'm, of course, trying to jockey between the money I have and how I distribute it. And so I want you to be able to say, why should I give you the money? Why should I spend money on community? And that's when you lay on this big opportunity statement on me, you know, because then I'd be like, absolutely, here's my money. You know, so it's like, mm -hmm. you never want anyone in an organization to feel like, why am I spending my money on that thing? You want them to be like, of course, I know why we're spending money on that thing. And, you know, that because that's the way executives think. They think in that that, oppor that big opportunity, big defensibility. Like, why is community a defensible thing for you to be focusing on? That's the big opportunity statement. And then the vision is like, all right, great. Everyone looks at it and knows what it is and what is it not. You know, so they can just stay super focused. So you're not, then you're not saying like, well, you said community was going to be this, this, and this. Like, nope, here it is. This is exactly what I said it was going to be right here. So it's a, I leverage it for very particular reasons. What's your process for figuring out what that vision or the opportunity is with a team that feels very kind of cloudy on, on that and they're already building community? <laughs> this is such a, it's such a timely thing because this is going on just, of course, right now as I'm working with clients, um, I take a crack at it oftentimes, you know, based on, what I do is talk to a, as many stakeholders as I can, as they'll let me. So I get in, um, we kick off the project and then I talk to all the parts of the business from product to marketing, to um, customer support, to customer success, to sales, anyone that I think is going to have a touch point to community. I interview them with very specific questions and then I cobble together all of my thoughts of notable findings and themes. I theme it all out, find the trends. And then I generally take a crack at it. And then we work together to wordsmith it and get it to a mm. place where they feel really good because I'm never, I know I'm not going to be perfect at it because I barely know them. They know them. Um, but they can be like, well, it just, I find it's better to react to something. And that's why I always take a crack at it. And then I'm like, okay, what doesn't feel right? What words don't you see in here? Right. And they're like, well, we're really about this. And we're really about that. I'm like, okay, great. Let's go. Let's rip it apart. And, mm. and that's how I, that's how I do it. What questions do you ask people to suss it out? Yeah. I mean, I have about a 25 questionnaire and I say like, what is your definition of community? You know, really. And then I hear what they say. And I things like, what is community? What would success look like when community is done? Or, you know, how do you measure? How do you think you'd measure success? What does community mean to you in the business? Like, what kind of value do you think the business is going to get from community? Okay, what do you think the value is going to be to the customers? I ask all the same questions to everybody. And this fascinating to hear all the different kinds of questions or I say what will cause this to fail you know and these are these are the types of things that I get at and so okay so you figure out the vision you get the strategy in place you're also helping companies build teams and, and you've built a massive team at Salesforce mm -hmm. I'm curious what 
do you look for when you hire someone for a community position? The first one, you mean? Sure. Yeah, I mean, because I feel like that's the most important one. Because sometimes you just get one. I mean, the reality is it's yeah. it's pretty dreamy to imagine you have a team that you get to build right off the bat. I do have a couple of those, which are amazing. So I encourage as high level as I can. I get them to just think they're immediately want to go for a junior person. Immediately. We want to go. Yeah. And this is why I'm so happy to be in this role I'm in now because I get to say, don't do that. Please don't do that. Not, not please don't do that. Don't do that. You won't do that. And, and I said, let's just play this out to you. You're about to launch a community and you're going to, that person is going to be the face, the tone, the voice, the brand. And you want that to be someone that's two years out of college? Like, don't do that. That is not right. And so, and you want them to execute on a strategy and deal with escalations. And I mean, this is hard stuff. And so they quickly change their tune. So I'm looking for minimum director or if I can get an even higher senior director, but that's just not always the case with every company. And I'm looking as far as like characteristics or, I mean, yeah. I'm still looking for hardcore empathy. I'm looking for somebody that has got the ability to see the big picture strategy wise, but still is willing to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work. Because at a company where you're just launching community, you need to do both. And um, when you've got one headcount, that unicorn is what you've got to find. And I think it's possible. So that's what I'm looking for. And then I build on from there. Like, okay, that's your one-year plan. Then your next one, you know, you need a moderator. Then you need an operations person. Then you're going to need a marketer a community marketer, then, you know, and I just build them a little more specialist. Yep. Yeah. And then they are a program community programs person. So I start to build them a one to two year plan, a three to five year plan and a five plus, you know, and, and show them the, the path. Right. Have you found that there's like different archetypes of community professionals? So if you're thinking about like hiring that first one and you kind of described it as a mm-hmm. unicorn, which to me says like someone who can be kind of many archetypes mm-hmm. of like, there's, you know, maybe community professionals who are more of kind of like very front facing and engaging and active in the community. They're they're folks who maybe are more operational types. Have you found that they're kind of different archetypes of community professionals today and and that one is better suited for a certain stage of company or a certain stage in a community program? The answer is yes. I think there are different ones. I think the first the first one has to have a little bit of everything, which is why I shoot for somebody more senior. Every one of them has to have deep empathy. I mean, I'm sure you would agree with that no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I would say that if I was, you know, at the starting point, the first person is more of can speak the world of business so that they can keep the drumbeat of community alive within the business, but also can be very relatable, professional. And um, I would imagine my feeling is more programmatic on the onset and that the second one you hire is more on would be on the operational side. What does programmatic mean? Like, you know, thinking about structuring programs from scratch, like when you're launching either engagement programs or a top contributor program or, you know, like these frameworks that you need to put in place to almost operate Mm -hmm. from start to finish on how you get everything in line from the documents that you need to write, the the governance models, the, you know, the the plans that, you know, the structure that that's the kind of first person. But I think you're right there. There's a lot of different types, but that first one, that those are the kinds of things I would be looking for. 
Love it. So last question, and then we'll dive into our rapid fire question round. Mm -hmm. You said you left Salesforce in part to want to help the industry grow and and contribute kind of on a more broad level. So seeing where the industry is today, mm-hmm. what do you think needs to happen for the community industry to really become a staple in business and, and get that seat at the table? You know, I, I think like we're in a time now where community is very buzzy and very hot and a lot of people are very interested in it. And my, my biggest fear is that we lose that opportunity now while everyone's paying attention to really become a core part of business and and not go back to days where communities not valued as it should be and not invested in as it should be. So what do you think from what you're seeing the industry and the people who work in it need to do to really take the community industry to to that level? I'm pushing people now to think of community much bigger than they than they think initially. I show this wheel now of in all my engagements, whether I think they're going to go there or not, of the future, which is the community is about engaging, supporting, advocating, and learning. All of these components are important and need to interact really well. Even if they don't live in the same organization, they need to come across as if they do. So I'm pushing people to think broader than just, you know, just the forum or just the groups, but think about letting me talk to those different organizations so it gets the education gets out in their mind and they get really excited about the opportunity. I'm pushing people to think about universal profiles now, to think about what it looks like when you look at a person and all the things that should matter to that person, the certifications that they take, the skills, the groups, the interactions, the the rewards that they get, all of those things, I think, matter. So I'm pushing people really hard on that. And I think that's going to be... And then I'm also thinking about making it not this like standalone thing, this like thing on the side, but really integrating it into the business because this is new stuff for companies. But if you start hooking it to the main website, hooking it to their product in, in a smart way, hooking it to all the relevant pieces of content, the training, the knowledge articles, you start seeing the thread of community going through everything. And then you mm. you can't get it out. Then it just becomes a part of it. So it, it's like, uh, it should be obvious as a part of the customer experience, but it's still not. So I'm, I'm pushing the envelope all the time with making that one of the first things, even if it's light touches at first, mm. but pushing for that top nav of the dot-com site or pushing for it being in a drop-down of the actual app or, you know, product. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's not, not buried in the footer. No, not in a footer. I mean, yes, in a footer, but like not in the footer and not just like, you know, down below the fold, it really threads. So this is how I'm pushing it now so that it can't be something that you undo because you shouldn't undo it. And if it's just living off to the side, it's just not part of the business. And then it's just like, oh, we're just going to hack that. And so that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think companies that are really doing well are finding that it's something that's integrated into kind of every part of the business, yes. the support and product and marketing and everything. Yep. And you're seeing that with, you know, the the companies, the startups that are yeah. coming out today that are growing the fastest, it, they're doing that from day one. I, I think this is going to be harder for companies that are well-established to do because they didn't weave it into the fabric from day one. But you see companies like Figma and Notion and 
Realm Research and all these companies. It's like yep. community is everything. It's in their product. It's in how they talk to customers. It's in all their all the language they use. They have yep. programming for that are all community centric and and kind of everyone's role in the company is to build community yeah. in a way. Yep, it's so true. I find that there's this sweet spot where I'm loving playing with companies like that where I can impact change right then, right before silos get deliberate and territories get, yeah. you know, set and, and people start digging their heels in. It's like, ah, oh, it's, I love that moment. That's a, but I also still love the big behemoths where you can see that they're struggling and they need to make change too. But yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Mm. It's, it's definitely becoming when you talk about it as that defensibility, uh, then that's really cool. Mm. It's really cool. <laughs> Follow-up question. So it still counts as my last <laughs> question, but on that topic, I think it's the last thing to get some clarity on is your thoughts on like, so if community is going to be integrated into every part of the business, it's this question of where does a community team sit within the business? And like, <laughs> is the community its own department? You, you you use the hub and spoke model at Salesforce where you kind of have a core community team, but then there's community people on the marketing team and mm -hmm. on the product team and spread out. So where do you sit today real quick on where community should sit within the organizational structure of a company? Oh boy. Yeah. This is a big one. I still have not a no, quick, not a I quick know. answer, but it's I'm okay. more serious. I know, no, I like it. Anyway. I love this question <laughs> because I'm still so passionate about it. I'm still pushing really hard for the dream. And I still think the dream is that it is treated like a service organization and it can serve the whole company uh, like a, like an HR function or a finance function and that it's at the mm. C level. I, I think that's the dream because they should sign up to support all the major parts of the business because there is tangible, measurable value for each part of the business. And it's easier to do that um, when you're given the ability versus having to would tap into an innovative leader that will let you do that in a, in a different organization. So that's still the dream. Now that does come with drawbacks. If it's an unknown factor, you can you tend you you might need to fight and have have people try to understand you. It's still not quite an under you know an understood thing if that were the case. So it comes with drawbacks, but that's still the dream. Mm -hmm. But in lieu of that, the trends that I'm seeing is it's an innovative uh, marketing leader is now where community is living. And it's very strange for me, as you can imagine, being that I dug a tunnel out of marketing <laughs> all those years ago. And here I am having a majority of my conversations with CMOs. I'm seeing that too. Yeah, it's wild, but I love it. And I love it because they're, they're very, very open and understand that they need to have shared shared metrics, shared OKRs, KPIs, whatever, with other parts of the organization in order to be successful. And so that's, um, if it's going to do that, then I deeply, deeply encourage um, and almost force them to have accountability shared OKRs, not just like, yeah, we'll do it, but like literally accountability metrics on other parts of the business's KPIs or OKRs. And that's when I've seen the most success. Mm. So I, I push people to try that that uh, chief community officer rolling up to the C-level. And there's sometimes they're just not ready for it. And I get it. It's, it's radical. It's very radical. Mm -hmm. I think it's the future. But for the time being, I'm seeing a lot of successes with very visionary and innovative marketing leaders. Yeah, I love that. And I've seen some people, 
even talk about community as, you know, it's marketing 3.0, mm-hmm. 4.0, 4.0 or mm-hmm. whatever point <laughs> we're on. It's kind of just like a rethinking again of marketing. And, and if you look at marketing as essentially the relationships you have with yeah. uh, customers and audiences and prospects and everyone, even within the company, then it, it's a rethinking of how marketing works from kind of the one to many to more collaborative, many-to-many community approach. Absolutely. And you're seeing a real shift and a change in the definition of customer marketing and what that is. And there's a lot of focus, I think, right now. I love that this is actually happening. I don't love this is happening, what's going on in the world. I don't love that. But what what I do like as a silver lining is that because top of the funnel is so sexy to a lot of the companies and the top of the funnel is not happening, they're they're moving down the funnel a bit. And they're like, oh, we got to keep what we have and we got to treat that amazing. I'm like, yes, because that's where community just shines. And so I'm I'm pouncing on this concept right now as much as I can, which is why the business is crazy uh, because that's that's an important thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also seeing with everyone going virtual for whatever reason, you know, like field marketing is now being changed into, you know, being called community because it's going from like in-person events to virtual events. Something about it being virtual, people are like, oh, this is an online community now. (laughs) It's like, well, wasn't it a community before? All right, whatever, sure, come on in. Yeah, whatever it is, (laughs) say the words, I'm on it. And I I felt like I was like that at Salesforce all the time. I was like, I would say the things, say the things, say the things, and then I would get someone to say say it back. And then Mm. I'm like, I'm ready, let's go. And I would just pounce because- Boom, you're in. I was just like, I was just- (laughs) You said it, no backseat. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then I'm just like, as soon as it happened, I just put the I put the pedal to the metal. I'm like, okay, let's go. And I lined up like 50 things that I wanted to do. So it's, I totally, I feel your, your urgency, like I feel mm-hmm. it too. It's just like, okay, mm-hmm. let's just go as fast let's as we can. And that's why I'm just like taking on as much as I can right now. So I'm like, let's go. Let's go, everybody. All right. Well, in in the spirit of moving as fast as we can, are you ready for the rapid fire question round? Oh boy, I'm not very good at this part, but let's let's try it. No one's very good at this. That's <laughs> what makes it so fun. Okay. First question: What's your favorite book to recommend to others? Oh God, I don't read like self help books, so I'm gonna say that I just like this book called Nine Perfect Strangers. <laughs> Why? Because it's what is it? I like to disappear with books. I like to when mm. I read, I like to go somewhere else. And it's a very fantastic writer, Leanne Moriarty, and she writes such fun twists and turn books, and it's just wild and crazy. And I loved it. So read that book. I'm in the mood for an escape book right now. So I I'm read, gonna read that. Read it. It's it's funky. It's and uh it's gonna be a Hulu series too soon. So go oh. so go quickly. Oh, I gotta read it before the series. Yes. I wanna be one of those people that's like <laughs> I yes. read the book. That's it. Be that person. Go read this book. <laughs> okay. Next question. Uh, what's your go-to self-care practice? Uh, right now, I'm I'm a runner. I mean, that's what I do. You're a runner. I'm a runner. Me too. I love it. Love it. I'm trying to still run while having a baby. Oh it's made boy, it so a lot hard. harder. But so hard. But I'm getting out there. You'll do it slowly but surely. Yes. Next question. What's your favorite quick engagement tip that you use in your communities? I focus on employee engagement, employee awareness. I know that sounds weird. What does that mean? Means that if if the employees know about it and can push it, that it it works. <laughs> so I focus on employee engagement. But what so else? You get employees to show yeah. up in the community. Yes, and to know about it. 
to be excited about it. Value prop. About what? About, about the like, community generally? Yeah, but generally, like what it is, because they generally do not know what it is. Yeah, it's, a, it's like an untapped thing. Like we're constantly like, who can we get that's motivated to participate in our community? Yeah. And you're trying to get all these like, you know, external folks yep. engaged, but like you actually have dozens or hundreds dozens, of people hundreds. internally who yep. like, we, you know, we really care about this. Like yep. we can, we can make your community look real active really fast. Exactly. I love, I love employee engagement. It's a big thing for me. Good stuff. All right. Next question. If you could only choose one metric to use for the rest of your career to measure communities, what would that metric be? Oh my God. <laughs> so mean. <clears throat> Product adoption. Why that one? Well, I just think that that's so much what people care about, don't they? I mean, like, don't you want people using your product? It's like getting customers to be able to more successfully use yeah. your product. Yeah. Love it. Isn't that a great I mean, answer? There you go. Boom. All oh, right. God. Next question. What? I'm We're so almost stressed. Done. I'm so We're stressed. Almost... <laughs> <laughs> We're almost done. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? Oh, oh. Um, I'm part of this like, um, nutrition like a nutrition company i guess that's not that weird though weird what's the weirdest thing about the nutrition community well i don't know much i don't know much about it i just my sister-in-law got me turned on to it because you know women get older and things happen and this the these are like little these little pills are like little jumper cables for my brain so that's that's the kind of like it's a weird little community. What's it called? Um, it's called Thrive. It sounds like it's probably pretty weird. It's pretty weird. I don't, I, you know, I try to engage too much with people in those communities. <laughs> I like it and I'll just keep it at that. Great. Last question. <laughs> yeah. If you're on your deathbed and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one tweet sized piece of advice for the rest of the world, what would that advice be? You're so mean. <laughs> I would say I still just can't get away from like treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm. I feel like that's just a good 100% lesson to live by. And it's a common one. And, you know, we just kind of forget it. Yeah. I just think it's a driving function for everything I do. I like it. Do you have like a way of checking in with yourself on that or any sort of practice around it? Yeah. I mean, I lately I when I want to blow up at someone, <laughs> I do a little like checking. You know, I, yeah. I used to be pretty terrible. How would I like someone to blow up yeah. at me? Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I generally like, I'm, I used to be pretty bad at this and fire off stuff. And now I'm like, pause, dance, think about how, you know, think of the different scenarios and let's, let's think about how you'd like to hear this. And then I'm generally better at it. Love it. Awesome. You made it through the rapid fire question round. You survived. I feel like I did a really crappy job. I got a, <laughs> I got a score of zero on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no ratings, but thank God you did great. I wonder if there's like, I wonder what the personality trait that would be actually good at that is. What am I lacking that makes me so terrible at thinking that fast on my feet? I don't know. Well, I send the questions ahead of time to people and I guess you didn't read my email. Oh, did you? <laughs> You're such a jerk. That is, that's the differentiator factor. Oh, mm -hmm, oh mm -hmm. well, I try you, to prep you. You I nailed it. You. Well, I think that actually nails it. It's the people that actually like redirections. <laughs> oh, yeah that's a trait people who read their email. that's it detail-oriented people nail it and uh, so you yeah. know who's gonna be awesome at this is holly you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna nail it she's gonna laugh that i was so shitty at this <laughs> oh great way then uh well last question where can people follow you where can they go to continue to learn from you and, and watch the work you're doing 
I'm all over the place as long as you can spell my name with a C and spell my last name with a K. So Erica with a C and cool with a K-U-H-L. And that's that's everything. So you can find me LinkedIn that way. You can find my website that way. You can find my Twitter that way. And then the only other thing is my um, podcast that I do with Mm -hmm. Brian is In Before the Lock. Yeah, I love it. Is In Before the Lock, IB4TL. .fm. And all of our episodes are there. Tons and tons of resources are there. And so, yeah, those are all the places you can find me. The podcast is very unique from other podcasts that I've listened to and most that you'll see in that, like, I don't know, this podcast, like we have a lot of high level conversations and mm-hmm. kind of theoretical discussions <laughs> and your podcast is just like, it's like a training. It's like really <laughs> practical. You share tons of like additional materials that people find on the website afterward and uh, it's just like, if you want to learn how to do this work, you want to go deep, uh, mm-hmm. listen to the podcast from yeah. Erica and Brian Oblinger is your your co-host. And yeah. you're both two of the smartest people that do this Thanks. work I know. And you're just sharing all of your all of your secrets yeah. so openly there. Thanks. So props yeah. to doing that. That was and, the point. That was yeah. the point. You know, like I said, I when I came out of Salesforce, I was like, let's go. Let's level up. And part of it is just sharing everything. And we have, the two of us have just tons of stuff in our brain. And so we just like sit and mm-hmm. long form it. And he does a brilliant job with the outlines and really making certain we hit off on all the really incredible points. And uh, I can't think of when we're going to stop having things to say. We just have like topics for days queued Mm -hmm. up. So, but if you have something or um, anyone wants to ask us topics that we will put them on the list. We just, we're just clipping away at them one at a time. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, Erica, you're amazing. I mean, the, the, the amount that you've done for this industry and and the work that we're all doing, it's, it's hard to put into words. (laughs) And, you know, I know I've, I've been extremely grateful to have you as, as a role model and a mentor and a friend. And I think, you know, the impact that you've had for so many other businesses and community professionals is, is pretty profound. So thank you so much for everything that you do and for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks, David. This is a blast. And thanks for those kind words. Of course. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoy this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.